0: Thanks for taking the time to watch or listen into this sermon. Our prayer is always that God would use it to draw you closer to himself and deepen your love for Jesus Christ. It's also our hope that this sermon would not be used to replace God's plan for authentic relationships in your life through a local church. If you aren't already a member of a local church, we just want to encourage you to step out in faith and join a church somewhere near you. Thanks again for checking out this sermon. We pray it's a blessing to you. Welcome to the Roots Community Church, where it's all about Jesus as we go, as we group, as we gather. And we are in a series, in the third week of a series, um, simply called Nehemiah. And we are going through the book of Nehemiah that is in the Old Testament. If you're trying to find it, it's before Psalms and Proverbs and, and, and Job and uh, just before Esther. Um, so if you go to the middle of your Bible and start turning back towards the beginning, you'll find it, which is a little bit confusing. Because chronologically, in the order of time, Nehemiah would have been um, either the last book or one of the last books of the Old Testament as far as time goes, written in or happening in about 445 B.C. He's contemporary with Malachi, Ezra, and after the times of Nehemiah, you're looking at 400 years of silence from God with his people until he brings forth John the Baptist and Jesus. And so this is an amazing time. This kind of sets up the scene of where God's people, Israel, are at before there's this time of silence, as they're in great expectation of someone to save them. We'll see that they're in a very broken place, that God will continue to send them great leaders to help them. But ultimately, they're looking for a greater Savior. And it all points forward to the need for someone that can actually do a a complete, eternal saving work, and that is Jesus Christ. And the book of Nehemiah is a hero story. Um, Like many other books in Scripture, uh, we read them, we understand it's a hero story. Unfortunately, oftentimes when we read them, we make us the hero, or we... uh, can look at the character like Nehemiah and think that he's the hero, and we can miss that the hero of Scripture and the hero of every book of the Bible is God himself. He's also the hero of our story, and we recognize that when we give our life over to him and see that he has saved us through the finished work of Jesus Christ. And so Nehemiah is a book that is about God's amazing love for his people, his faithfulness to his people, And what can happen when his people will work together in great unity for his purposes? What can get accomplished? It's amazing. They should remind all of us what we can do as the church as we fulfill God's purpose and plan for the church on the earth. And so in the first week, Nehemiah, we, we meet Nehemiah. We find out that at that time is a great Persian empire, which encompasses much of the land over there, including Israel. That at that time also, um, Israel had been exiled to different places, scattered by God because they had turned to different idols. And now they've had two kind of waves of return of Israel, Jewish people, back to Israel. Nehemiah is the cupbearer to the king of Persia, Artaxerxes. And the cupbearer has an important job to keep the king safe from assassination through poisoning. Also, he's got to make sure the food tastes good. And so he's the one that brings the wine, the food to the king of this great mighty kingdom. So he's got to be faithful, he's got to be trusted. And his brother and some others come from Jerusalem to where he's at in the capital of Susa. And, and he asks them how's how's Jerusalem? How are God's people? How's God's dwelling place? And the response is that the walls are broken down, the gates are burned down, and the people are in disgrace. And Nehemiah hearing this is broken because he cares for God. He cares for God's people. He cares for God's city. And so when he hears that that the people are broken, that God's dwelling place is broken, he's broken. He's broken for what breaks God. Now, God obviously doesn't get broken in the sense of being shattered, but that God's heart is broken for things. God loves his people. And so Nehemiah finds out that the people are in disgrace and that they're vulnerable. He mourns, he fasts, he prays for four months. Now, it doesn't say he fasted the whole time, that would kill you, but that he has these times of fasting, that he's praying, that he's mourning, that he's, he's weeping, that he's And one day, the king recognizes that on him and says, you don't seem ill. Why are you so sad? That can only be a sadness of heart. And that Nehemiah has to pray to get the strength, and then he responds, how else should I feel? The city where my ancestors are buried is in ruins. And so the king, it shows that he has great favor with the king because the king says, well, what do you want? Like, you're brokenhearted. I can do something about it. What do you want? And we talked about that we need to be ready to answer those that are ready to help us. That we should know what God has burdened our heart with. That we should prepare a plan so that when asked, what is it that you're looking for, we have an answer. And so he answers the king and says, could you give me this time to go back and, and rebuild the, the, the wall around Jerusalem so that the people will not be vulnerable And in disgrace. Now I need to put this disclaimer out here during this whole series because of the political climate. This is not about a wall. This is about God's people being vulnerable in places that they need to secure their vulnerabilities. Need to work together to strengthen and push forward God's will, purpose, and plan. And we see that God raises up people to lead the charge, and then when someone will step out and and be faithful to what God has put on their heart, that others rally around and accomplish these great things for God. And so we finished chapter two, last time we met, and today we're going to look at chapter three and four. If you're taking notes, I'll tell you why it's titled this later, but just write, Pray and Post Up. Pray and Post Up. As far as Nehemiah 3 goes, I just need to uh, put it out there right now. We're not going to slowly go through Nehemiah 3. Nehemiah 3 is a book that you should read, a chapter that you should read that I'm not going to for you. And the reason is um, it will just tell you who built what part of the wall or fixed what part of a gate. And so it's just this long list of like, and this family went to the fish gate and rebuilt it, and this family next to them did this, and this group of people did this. And so I'm not going to go down the whole list. I think it's beneficial for you to read, but if I just read it to you right now, <laughs> you'll be sleeping. I do want to point out a couple cool things, though. In, in verse 1 in chapter 3, it talks about the high priest and the fellow priest doing work to rebuild, which is awesome. Um In verse 5, it talks about a group of people. It says, but their nobles would not put their shoulders to the work under their supervisors. They thought they were too big for the job. If you think you're too big for a job, it just reveals that you're too small. If you move down, uh, in verse 12, it it talks about Shalom, son of Halohesh, ruler of the half-district of Jerusalem, repaired the next section with the help of his daughters. go girls I love that it points that kind of stuff out in scripture that the nobles wouldn't put their shoulders to the work but this guy's daughters are like let's get it that's awesome Uh, if you if you move down a little further there's a cool thing in verse 16 talking about um, people building different areas and said made repairs up to the point opposite the tombs of David as far as the artificial pool sounds cool and the house of heroes. Oh, you guys don't think that's as cool as me. Just the name of that sounds cool. Like, what do you got to do to be in the house of heroes? It's thought that it's probably David's mighty men. Um, but that would be their tombs there, which is a pretty cool thing. So we'll continue to go down and just talk about these different areas that get built. What I want you to notice that all hands are on deck. That everybody had a part to play. Now, the nobles punked out on one of the sections, but everybody else understood that the only way to get this accomplished, it's a big task, it's bigger than any one person or any one small group of people, that everyone needed to get to work in their section, carrying their weight for this to get accomplished. And so they owned their area, shoulder to shoulder with others that were owning their area. And I'm sure that they they became more united as a group and as a people as they did that. As you know, if if you sweat next to somebody, you tend to to grow in relationship with them. And so if you do, well, maybe if you've played sports with people, I'm sure um, if you've been on different types of teams in all kinds of different settings, when you get a goal accomplished together... When you're moving forward with progress together, when you're striving and pushing forward, you build relationship. You care more for that person. You want to help and support them because you're trying to accomplish something. And so the people now that have been disgraced are moving forward with things and and being unified as a people, God's people, to accomplish what God had laid on Nehemiah's heart. We already found that out last week. And so I want to read to you in, in Galatians 6, verse 2 through 5. Speaking of um, carrying our own load, uh, and maybe you've heard the beginning of this before as far as carrying each other's burdens, but it says, carry each other's burdens. And in this way, you will fulfill the law of Christ. So that's good. That's about us loving each other. When somebody's broken, when someone's going through something, us being there for each other and others being there for us. If anyone thinks they are something when they are not, they deceive themselves. Like the nobles. (laughs) They didn't help. Each one should test their own actions. Then they can take pride in themselves alone without comparing themselves to someone else. For each one should carry their own load. That's good. It's good for us to remember that. It, It doesn't conflict or confront with itself where it says carry each other's burdens and then down here carry their own load. The goal is that all of us would be strengthened and maturing, growing in a way that we can carry our own load, that we can be not only consumers, but also um, be fruitful and and provide. And that in our strength, we would be able to help carry each other's burdens. Actually, even in our weakness, sometimes it's easier going through something even if the person's broken that's walking with it through you. Walking with you through it. Hmm. Two broken people can help each other it's nice to not just be by yourself and realistically all of us have some broken spaces that we would benefit from being able to put ourselves out there and allow somebody to come alongside us and maybe where i'm strong you're weak and where you're weak i'm strong i just said the same thing didn't i apparently i'm strong and you're weak (laughs) and where i'm weak you're strong that we can help each other and and walk this out. You're not built to do this on your own. There's things for us to accomplish as God's people. And we do that as each one of us carries our load and each one of us cares for the burdens of each other. And so we see that happening in chapter three as everyone's working hard together. And then as we move into chapter four, um, it's kind of a long (laughs) title. It's easy to criticize what others are building when you're not busy trying to build. It's easy. It's easy to criticize other people when you're watching instead of doing. Look at this. Chapter 4. We met some of these characters already in last week, but when Sanballat heard, and this is the, the governor of Samaria that we were rebuilding the wall, he became angry and was greatly incensed or or intensely angry. He ridiculed the Jews. God's people are trying to accomplish what God put on their heart, fulfilling his plans and purposes. And they're getting ridiculed for it from somebody watching. And in the presence of his associates and the army of Samaria, he said, so he's got these other people around him and you know how people get Like a lot of people would never say something about you or to your face if it was just them. But you get them around their associates. You get them around those that are a a sympathetic audience. That will connect with what they're doing and hype them up or kind of go there with them. Then all of a sudden they got something to say. And I'm saying that other people do that because we would never do that. the presence of his associates in the army of Samaria, he said, what are those feeble Jews doing? Will they restore their wall? Will they offer sacrifices? Will they finish in a day? Can they bring the stones back to life from those heaps of rubble, burned as they are? So he's making fun of them. Like, look at these guys. You think they can really accomplish it? Tobiah the Ammonite, who was at his side, said, so now he pipes in. Too often we can, instead of being helping push forth God's mission, we can sometimes get next to those that criticize those that are on God's mission. Instead of shutting it down, we can just jump in. Tobiah the Ammonite, who was at his side, said, What they are building, even a fox climbing up on it, would break down their wall of stones. Now, I'm not sure if in 445 B.C. this was good trash talk. I think it's pretty weak. Like, if I'm coming at you, I got better things to say. But apparently, like, this is good trash talk in 445 B.C., and these guys are are, are just ridiculing the Jews, coming after them through their words and and trying to gain kind of ground and slandering them to discourage them, to push them down so that they feel better. And so these these surrounding areas are trying to push the Jews down, keep them at bay, try to discourage them so that they feel good about their own power. They're criticizing instead of working. Notice that a a lot of the the loudest criticism comes from the cheapest seats. I mean, like, like, who do you listen to? matters who you listen to. There's going to be people that criticize. If you're really going to try to accomplish the purposes and plans of God, follow the will of God, follow after his commands, there's going to be pushback, there's going to be criticism. Be careful who you listen to. I tend to have a little bit of a rule for myself. I try to, I try to hear all feedback, but my filter on, on how much weight it carries is based on how much weight the person carries. So if the person's next to me on the wall building a gate, I see the weight they're carrying every day, the weight of their words carries a lot to me. The person on the other side of the wall talking trash about what we're trying to accomplish, you don't carry weight. So your words don't either. And I try to always hear feedback because sometimes people have good things to say that I can learn from even in their criticisms. But there's something special about like the person standing next to me on the field or the court or on or, or God's mission and God's plan. Like let's hear what we have to say as we out of love try to encourage and uplift and sometimes correct if necessary. i listen to that kind of criticism because I believe you care. That you care most about God and that you care about me following after God. So go ahead and tell me and I'll handle it. But if you just want to trash what God's up to, And I just happen to be the one standing there to hear the trash? You can say it if you want. And I'm not saying that just for me, I'm saying we need to learn how to do that. Don't just harden our our hearts towards everything we hear, but just make sure we listen to the right people. I love this quote from Theodore Roosevelt about critics, and you've probably heard it before. It is not the critic who counts, not the man who points out how the strong man stumbles or where the doer of deeds could have done them better. The credit belongs to the man who is actually in the arena, whose face is marred by dust and sweat and blood, who strives valiantly, who errs, who comes short again and again because there is no effort without error and shortcoming, but who does... who? but who does actually strive to do the deeds, who knows great enthusiasms, the great devotions, who spins himself in a worthy cause, who at the best knows in the end the triumph of high achievement, and who at the worst, if he fails, at least fails while daring greatly, so that his place shall never be with those cold and timid souls who neither knew know victory nor defeat. Strive for something great. Let's really believe that God's kingdom and God's plan and God's purposes is worth giving everything for and not allow the potential of criticism to stop us from getting in the game. Too often, that's what we do. And then we have something to say about those that do it. And in the days of the internet, Too many people have voices. I'm gonna, I, just, I just like held myself back just now. <laughs> Self-control. <laughs> it's easy to criticize what others are building when you're not bit busy trying to build. Give it to God and get back to work. Give it to God and get back to work. Listen, there's sometimes we talked about last week. There are some times when it is appropriate to answer the critic. Sometimes that's appropriate. Most times, give it to God and get back to work. So there's all this criticism. They're talking trash. And here's Nehemiah. He prays, hear us, our God, for we are despised. Turn their insults back on their own heads. Give them over as plunder in a land of captivity. Do not cover up their guilt or blot out their sins from your sight, for they have thrown insults in the face of the builders. Now, that's an interesting prayer. Like in the New Testament, it says, pray for your enemies. And I don't think this is the type of prayer it has in mind. That the prayer for your enemies is like, God, you see what they're doing? Get them. But what he's praying for right here is Justice. What has happened is Nehemiah understands that, that God has told his people, if you follow after me, it'll go well for you. You'll live in this land of promise and provision. If you don't, I will scatter you. You will be exiled. And so the people turned from God. He scattered them, and now he's bringing them back to that land, but they're, they're having all of these people come against them. So Nehemiah's like, hey, God, the standards you held us to, hold them to. That if there is, if there is I'm looking for justice, God. And so it's cool, though, because what he doesn't do is say, God, I noticed that you gave me a sword. I'm going to go kill all these suckers. But what he does in that moment is he, he prays like we see oftentimes in Psalms. When you read through the Psalms, you see David, and he's like, God, smash the teeth of my enemies. Like David's asking somebody to curb stomp his enemies. Because he, he, it's, it's a... It's a uh, a nation that he's the king over, that he's ruler over, and he realizes there is pushback and fighting. And so he says, God, fight for us. God, you see what they're doing to us. Fight for us, God. Deal with those that would be against you and against your people. Hmm. I think it's okay for us to wrestle through that. I think sometimes it probably is a place of our prayers. Right here, we get a real look at what Nehemiah is walking through. Nehemiah's frustrated that it's happening, and, and Nehemiah prays a real, a real prayer from his heart to God. God, hear us, deal with them. And he puts it back in God's hands, allowing that God would deal with him how he pleases. And then it says, so we re- rebuilt the wall till all of it reached half its height, for the people worked with all their heart. This is great. Even with opposition, sometimes you do your best work against opposition. And it can help focus you, it can help motivate you. And so as these people are talking trash, Nehemiah gives it to God and gets back to work. Sometimes we, we give it to God and then we just stew over it, we wrestle through it, and, and we do that forever and ever and ever and ever and always, and we never get back to the original thing God called us to. And now other people's criticism has stopped us from God's purposes. And it's just because we can't work through what's coming against us. Give it to God and get back to work. Doing the right things, what God's called us to. And then I love what happens next. And this is where it's pray and post up. Pray and post up. Look at this. But when Sambalit, Tobiah, and the the Arabs and Ammonites, this is really what it's trying to explain to us these are people all around the city. Because people are surrounded and they're vulnerable and the wall's only up to half its height so they're not safe yet. They heard that the repairs to Jerusalem walls had gone ahead and that the gaps were being closed. They were very angry. They all plotted together to come and fight against Jerusalem and stir up trouble against it. So they want to fight against it and stir up trouble for it. But we prayed to our God and posted a guard day and night to meet this threat. I love this. This is spiritual and practical. It's not, and we prayed and just figured we're good. It's also not just we put up a a guard. It's both sides of this. And I think all of us, and we're going to see this theme. We saw it last week. We're going to continue to see this this theme in Nehemiah that we are called to Focus on God, remember that it's all His, that He's sovereign, that He's in control, that it's His plans and purposes, that victory is His. And remember that oftentimes He does that through our diligence. Sometimes in Scripture, does God send an angel to take care of a whole army? Yes. But oftentimes, you know what He does? He works through His army. He works through His people. And so they, they, they pray, God, Protect us, God, protect us. And then they go, okay, and, uh, and you go stand over there with the sword, and you go stand over there with the sword, and let's post up in these, let's be diligent, let's ha- use wisdom about preparing for what God has for us. We believe he wants us to be safe, so let's plan accordingly. Like, let's pray for our house to be safe and lock the door. Let's pray for healing and go to the doctor. And so they pray and they post up and we would do well in learning to do both well. Have good plans to accomplish what God has purposed in our heart and to continue to rely on him, to turn to him, to depend on him in everything. (laughs) Next up, everybody's got something to say. Everybody's got something to say. You yeah, know, more people have something to say as it gets a little further on. Like it, when you start a, on a path, people are really excited, you're really excited, everybody's motivated. It doesn't take long until people start getting tired, and when people start getting tired, Even the motivated people can start having the wrong ideas. And so as they're trying to push forward God's purposes, God's plan, God's will, in accomplishing, um, removing the disgrace from his people, they start to realize that people are talking about them, not just the the trash talkers on the outside, but, but that there's things being said all over the place. From within, from without, and from around. Look, there's talk within. Meanwhile, the people in Judah said, the strength of the laborers is giving out. And there is so much rubble that we cannot rebuild the wall. They're getting discouraged. They were motivated to start. They got it up to halfway. Their heart, they worked with all their heart. And now they're looking around and they're going, this is a lot of work. It seems as though they've lost a little bit of heart. Rocks are still just as heavy. But it's interesting how much you can accomplish when you're motivated and inspired and excited and can remember the purposes of what you're trying to accomplish. But how you can start focusing on the rock in front of you and start, instead of focusing on fixing yourself from disgrace and vulnerability or doing God's purpose and plans. And so you can start just the mundane day-to-day of rebuilding the wall can start to wear you out. And you can start to think like, man, this is a big task. We're supposed to take the gospel to the ends of the earth? I can hardly even think about how to get them to the ends of my street. And and now the, the, the commission for all of us to take it to every person? That's big. It's big. There's talk within. There's talk without. Also, our enemy said, the enemies just keep talking. The enemy's always talking. You know that. Anytime, especially as you start to gain ground, there's pushback. Start to gain ground, there's pushback. You start to gain ground, there's pushback. And the enemy is constantly talking, trying to discourage you, trying to get you off your path. Have you stop. Have you focus on something different. Also, our enemy said, before they know it or see us, we'll be right there among them and we'll kill them and put an end to their work. So they're bringing fear. There's also talk around them. Then the Jews who live near them, near the enemy, they're not inside a Jerusalem building, they live outside, came and told us ten times over, wherever you turn, they will attack us. That's discouraging. Like you're trying to accomplish something great. In the last couple chapters, we see like the people are motivated, they're excited, they've been given this great job and task, and they've been inspired and instructed on how it could look and what it would be, and they're going for it. And now they're tired. And although the walls are getting stronger, they're getting vulnerable. Hmm. And so they, they start, man, this is a big task. The enemies keep saying they're gonna attack. And now even our own people that aren't building with us are talking about how it's too much and that we're gonna be devastated. That the enemy wins instead of us. And I love the response to all of this. And I just wrote as a note, your families are relying on you to fight for them. Like Sometimes you need to remember what's at stake. You need to remember what's on the line. And when you get tired, what motivates you is remembering what's at stake. So Nehemiah, realizing that people are getting tired, hearing his own people, man, that's discouraging as a leader. You've got everybody ready to go. You're, they're excited. You're moving forward on something. And then all of a sudden, as you're trying to move forward, you realize there's pushback. You realize it's getting difficult. And you hear the team start to go, I don't know, man. I'm getting tired. And you're like, oh, geez. We're only halfway down to the wall. <laughs> there's a real enemy out there. There's, there's still things coming against us. And Nehemiah does this brilliant leadership move. Watch this. So he hears all this. Therefore, I stationed some of the people behind the lowest points of the wall, so where they're most vulnerable, he sends people. At the exposed places, posting them by families with their swords, spears, and bows. After I looked things over, so he assesses everything, I stood up and said to the nobles, the officials, and the rest of the people, don't be afraid of them. He's trying to re-encourage them, re-inspire. He realizes that saying it once and then hoping that it lasts all the way through isn't gonna cut it. That we need to be reminded regularly. All of us do. When we come to church every Sunday, there's a reason we do that once a week. And some of us could probably use it daily. That's why you should read your word on your own. That's why you should go to community group. That's why we grow friends and, and, and grow in Jesus with Friends is that we need constant reminders of the mission that we're on, what God has done for us, what it looks like to walk with him, because we easily forget and can get just weighed down by the weight of the world and the mission. So Nehemiah stands up before everybody and says, don't be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome. That's the greatest way to inspire somebody that loves Jesus. Listen, everything we're working through in this book is is coming from the standpoint of us first understanding what God has done for us, how great he is, how loving he is, how faithful he is. This is not, as we work through some of this text on what it looks like to follow God's purposes and plans, it's not without first understanding his saving work through Jesus Christ. This is doing great work Because it's grace-driven, I understand that I've been saved by His grace and His love. This is not I do great works on His mission so that I can earn His love or receive His grace. It's because I've received it that I move forward with great passion and zeal. And this is great—a reminder that we all need to constantly remember the Lord, how great and how awesome He is. And this is—that's why we have strength. Don't be afraid. God's awesome. He's bigger than all of this. He's the one who provides his spirit to give us strength to accomplish everything he's ever called us to. Remember the Lord. It's the first thing we need to remember who is great and awesome. And I love this. And fight for your families, your sons and your daughters, your wives and your homes. Your families are relying on you to fight for them. Nehemiah does a brilliant move right here. He says, look to God and remember. Remember he's awesome. Remember why we're doing this. And then he stations them by families. Which means my family's there with me. And then he looks to the men that are carrying these swords. He says, remember the Lord. And fight for your families. Remember that this fight is not just so that we can accomplish something. It's not just for the greatest, the the greater of everybody else. But there's also something else on the line that's very personal to you. And if you want somebody to fight, put the right thing out there for them to fight for. So Nehemiah reminds them, listen, this is not just all of us that are disgraced, but your family is vulnerable. Your family's on the line here. So don't just carry a sword for you. You might feel one way about just you, but, but your wife's behind you, your kids are behind you, their, their livelihood's behind you. So you stand at that wall and you fight and fight remembering how awesome God is and that people are relying on you to walk out the purposes and plans of God. Men, let me just talk to you for a moment because I'm already doing it. I might as well just call you out by name. I'm yelling at me. I'm speaking loudly at you. All through scripture, we have been called to lead. And most often, we don't do it well. And we need a reminder. God is awesome. And your family is depending on you. Where it is vulnerable to stand to stand strong, to fight with everything you have, and to die for the cause. It's not just everybody else. In fact, sometimes we're giving ourselves for everybody else. And we need to be reminded that our family is the ones that are right behind us. That our kids are watching, that our wives are watching, that they're on the line watching for our leadership. Do you really care enough to stand in the gap? Do you really care enough to fight not just for all these other causes but for us? And you know what? You're not alone. Husband? Dad? Look at look down the wall. I'm standing there. Look down the wall. The guy next to you standing there. We all have this work to do. You're not by yourself. But you are called to this. And it would be wrong to send your kids and your wife to the part of the wall that's vulnerable because you've defaulted out of the plane, because you've decided to do something different. And and, and to wives and women in the room, I'm sorry. We've done a bad job with a clear role to keep you safe with everything we have, to fight for our families, not just physically, but spiritually, to protect. And to lead, and to show you, and this is this is a reminder because we need re-inspired, we need re-encouraged, men. I know you can't do it on your own. I know you can't. I can't either. God's called us to this, and He's the one that provides the strength to accomplish it. God's called us to this, and we're not called to do it by ourselves. But our families are stronger as we do it. Our church is stronger as we do it. Our community is stronger as we do it. The world at large is better. It's protected. It is strengthened. It is encouraged. It is safe. When we are willing to do what God's called us to do, regardless of the cost it is for us, as we stand as the first line of defense and the only line of defense, dependent on God for victory. Didn't plan to say all that. So, second service might not get it. So, because <laughs> I don't know if I got it in me twice. When our enemies heard that we were aware of their plot and that God had frustrated it, we all returned to the wall, each to our own work. Your families are relying on you to fight for them. Fight even if it costs you your life. Well, I took all the air out of the room, but I think it's because we're thinking. Stay ready so you don't have to get ready. I need the worship team to come up. Stay ready, you ain't gotta get ready. Stay ready so you don't have to get ready. This is cool, I just love uh, what happens here. From that day on, half my men did the work while the other half were equipped with spears, shields, bows, and armor. The officers posted themselves up behind all the people of Judah who were building the wall. Those who carried materials did their work with one hand and held a weapon in the other. Can you picture that? Like you're carrying a rock that needs to go on the wall over there in one hand. And then you you have a sword in the other. Like how tough does that look? Come get some. Guys, we should pour ourselves out. No one should work harder than us. No one should, should run harder, work harder. And each of the builders wore his sword at his side as he worked. Everybody is strapped and ready to work and to fight if necessary. But the man who sounded the trumpet stayed with me. This is cool. Then I said to the nobles, the officials, and the rest of the people, the work is extensive and spread out, and we are widely separated from each other along the wall. Wherever you hear the sound of the trumpet, join us there. Our God will fight for us. This is so cool. As the leader, he says, listen, all of us are ready to fight if necessary, but if, if any area starts to seem like it's getting attacked more than another, I have this guy with me that's going to blow the trumpet. And when someone is getting attacked and they're under duress and it looks like they're maybe going to be taken, um, the rest of us rally. They're not on their own. We don't all stay in our part and be like, I hope that goes well over there on the wall. Good luck. But we realize that if they fall, we're all vulnerable. That we love them and we love us. And so there's a trumpet to be sounded. And I love that because it's a beautiful picture of the church. That as we all are walking out God's purpose and plans for us, it is not independent of the whole. That we are a body. We are parts of the body. That we know each other. We love each other. We care for each other. We're in each other's lives close enough that when someone starts to break down or be attacked, somebody can... Again, don't know if I can do that again. Special service this morning. But somebody blows the trumpet so the rest of us can rally. That the rest of us would care and come there and and, and take care of them and fight that fight with them and carry the burden that they are under. And then when when that's safe and assured up and, and ready to go, we go back to carrying our own load. Beautiful picture of God's covenant people loving God and accomplishing his purposes and realizing that that's meant to be done together. And this is great. Join us there. Our God will fight for us, exclamation point. That's so cool. It's cool because, again, it's one of like the prayed and post up kind of ideas is that he goes, we'll blow the trumpet and God will fight for us. But he's not just saying that you stand over there and watch as God just fights. He's saying like everybody else come here and start swinging your swords. Start, start throwing your spears and using your bows and watch God fight for us. That we do the work that God's called us to and to accomplish and, and that we watch him work through us that he would get all the glory. He says, God will fight for us. So every time they have victory, they go, God, isn't God awesome? Instead of going like, man, aren't you glad you practiced throwing that spear? Yes, I'm glad you practiced. And I'm glad God is with us and he's the one that accomplishes his goals. And that we get to be a part of his mission, his plan. So we continued the work with half the men holding spears from the first light of dawn till the stars came out. At that time, I also said to the people, have every man and his helper stay inside Jerusalem at night so they can serve as guard, us as guards by night and as workers by day. That's tiring. Neither I nor my brothers nor my men nor the guards with me took off our clothes. Each had his weapon even when he went for water. Nehemiah's a great leader. He says, listen, I'm not telling you to do something I'm not willing to do. Like if you've got to stay with the weapon at all times to make sure we're safe, then I'm staying with the weapon at all times to make sure we're safe. If you don't get a chance to change your clothes, I don't get a chance to change my clothes. If you've got to go to get your water and don't feel safe then, and you feel like you've got to carry, I'm going to go, I'm going to be ready like you're going to be ready. And as all of us are ready, we can be there for each other. And so I think for us to, to recognize that, that there's some places in our life we probably need to get ready so that we can stay prepared in season and out of season in all areas. I need my prayer life to be ready, not just for me, but because people I love need me to pray for them. And I need you to do the same because I might need you to pray for me. That, that, man, in all areas of life that we would prepare diligently as we pray to God and, and push forward on his plans and purposes in practical ways, in spiritual discipline ways, Lastly, I think I read this verse the other week, but we've been saying it to our, our boys lately too. 1 Corinthians sixteen thirteen and 14. Paul says to the church in Corinth, be on your guard. Stand firm in the faith. Be courageous. Be strong. Do everything in love. What a great line. Be on your guard. Be ready. If you don't feel ready for the attacks that'll come your way, get ready. Stand firm in the faith. Be courageous. Be strong. And do everything in love. Can you stand to your feet?